Cricket Life Stories with me, Neil Kagram. Today we're joined by Sri Lanka's head coach, Mickey Arthur. Mickey, how, how's it going out in Colombo? It's, it's all good, all good, thanks, Neil. We, um, we've been in curfew for, what, about eight weeks now. There is some light at the end of the tunnel, I think. I think it's going to be eased on Monday, I'm hearing. Um, but we've heard that for the last couple of weeks. So let's just, let's just hope and, uh, and hopefully we can start getting a mix of our bowling attack back so we can, we can start building their loads up again. Because, I mean, we don't know when we're going to play. But if we can, I'm trying to get a little bit of a head start of the rest. Yeah, fingers crossed. So let's take it all the way back with yourself. So born in Johannesburg, South Africa. Was cricket always yes. in your blood? Yeah, it was. I, I only sort of lived the first year of my life in Johannesburg, and then we moved down to Durban. So I'm, I like to think I'm a, I'm a Durban boy. Uh, KwaZulu-Natal is, is, is what, kind of where I hail from. And um, yeah, it was. My, my dad was always, he was instrumental in, in that. He ran a, a cricket team down in Durban there for, for, for quite a while. So I kind of, I kind of was, grew up on the side of the field watching him play. And, and obviously, I was, I, was, I was really, really interested in it and, um, and worked damn hard at it to, to have, try and have a professional career in it. Yeah, so you went to Westfields High School. Did you also play for um, a junior club team as well? And when did your talent uh, first get spotted from a playing perspective? Well, well, I started off at a, at a primary school. I, I went to a primary school called Ethel Heights, which is which is part. We we were we lived in the, in in the suburb of Westville, which which is just outside Durban. So it's about oh, it's probably 10, 15 minutes inland from from the from the actual coast of Durban. Um, and so I went to a primary school there, and I, I sort of got got recognition at primary school cricket. Um, one of my big bugbears was I just missed out on the Natal Primary School side um, to play in the, the there was a there was a prime under thirteen sort of week and Natal was was the state or the province and I I just missed out on that um, because I was kind of from this sort of unfancied school if you like and nobody had really heard of Apple Heights and then I went from there to Westwood uh, Boys High a very very good school Westwood Boys High and in South Africa it's it's very much the school school system where you get where you get taken from or it, or it was then um so so you even though you sort of played some sort of club cricket you could only really do that in the holidays because there was a very good inter-school system in in durban and in south africa at that time and you know very unlike australia or or england to a point where where the young players come through the club system in South Africa, it's very much you come through the school system. So I went in and, and sort of played. I played uh, two years in Natal schools, um, which is the senior sort of, uh, I say senior, it's the, it's the sort of, I would say, the under-19 carnival, if you like. Um, and, then, and then went to did my army training. I was called up to do my mm -hmm. army training. And that's how I got to, to Kimberley um, and ended up staying there and playing some professional cricket there. Yeah, so you're predominantly a batsman. Yeah, I was an opening batsman. And then, so you had your time with Orange Free State. Um, you played, represented, um, is it Greek Island? Am I pronouncing that correctly? That's right. It, it's and it's then, Greek Island, yes. And, and so then, I started there and, and then progressed on to play for Free State for five years, Orange Free State. Mm -hmm. And in that time, we, we, had, a, we, had, a, we had an incredible side. Um, 
It, it was captained by, obviously, the late Hansi Cronier, um, Alan Donald, Corey Fancel, Omar Henry. Uh, we had Rudolf Stein, um, all guys that, had, that sort of played for South Africa. Nicky Boyer was coming through. Corey mm-hmm. Van Sale, who's, who's, who's very involved in South African cricket, was my roommate for five years. And we had a, we had a really good side that was predominantly Afrikaans-dominated uh, because that's, that was the, the Orange Free State um, province. And, and it was very well known for rugby. Grey High School um, it's, it's, um, in Bloemfontein has produced a massive amount of rugby springboks. And we ended up changing that sort of philosophy around. And we, we had an unbelievable five years uh, playing for Freestad and, and very well led by Hansi. And our overseas player, because in that time, every, every province had an overseas player. And we had, for, for three years, we had uh, Franklin Stevenson, the West Indian, okay. um, who, who, was, who was unbelievable. And the, the thing was, you know, it was very, that was, that was just before South Africa came back into international cricket. And so, so in the first three years of my time with Orange Free State was, was, post, uh, was pre-unity. So every game became like a test match, you know, and then, and then towards the back end of my time with Orange Free State, um, South Africa got back in, in 1992. And, and obviously that was a fantastic time because then, you know, players then, um, it, it, became a, it certainly became a, 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 a very much a free South Africa, which for, the, for want of a better word. And, 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 and it was the first time South Africa was represented uh, as as a united country. So you also represented South Africa A. Am I correct in saying? Yes, I did. I did. I played. I played a couple. I had a couple of tours with South Africa A. Um, had a couple of games against England A. A very strong England A. Um, at that time. So yeah, I, I, I did. I, that was. And to be fair, that was probably the pinnacle of my talent. I was probably just short of international level. But I could hold my own just one step just below. So, so that was kind of how I, I made a living for, for, for what, 10 years. Yeah, so just reading about some stats, you've, over your career, 6,500 runs, retired in 2001. Um, yeah. So the, your first opportunity in coaching um, came with Greek Island. And how yes, did you so find so that transition from playing to coaching? It was, um, I found it as a natural progression for me because it was always something I wanted to do. You know, I say uh, my degree went back to, to, to being cricket. Um, so I, I always wanted to progress into, into the coaching world. And I guess I went back to cricket was to, we, at that point in time, in South African cricket, it was a 12-team competition. Griquas was a very small union that was very close to my heart. So. After, after doing it, having five very good years at, at Free State, successful years, they wanted me to go back to, to Greek was as almost as a, I went back as, as like a director of cricket, if you like, but I played and captain for, for two years. And then the coaching job became available. So then it was a natural transition for me. During that time, I, I coached South Africa A as well. And, uh, and I spent a winter at the, the National Academy coaching that. So I was sort of cutting my teeth with that. And then South African cricket, the structure changed. And it went from 12 teams to six teams. So, so there was regional franchises. And the Eastern Cape franchise 
um, hired me um, to go down there and, and work with them. So I did that for about 18 months. And we had, we had sort of two 2020 finals in, in that time. It was Mackay and Teeny, Mark Boucher played down there. Um, Robin Peterson. So we had a we had a, a fairly decent side, and um, that was it was good to be part of that as well. And then the opportunity to coach South Africa came in two thousand and five. You took over from Ray Jennings. Was it a surprise to you? And in terms of the actual getting a international job, can you just give us a little insight? Do you have to go for an interview? Do you get approached? Um, do you have to? provide a presentation in front of a panel how, how does it how does it work can you give us a little insight yeah yeah i can and and i think it's progressed from certainly from that time but in in it was in 2005 and to be fair i was still very young in the coaching game so i was only 2005 i was only 30 uh, just turned 36 so so i was i was still very young and and the south african job came up at that point in time i'd coached south african a i'd had a taste of working with those type of players and i kind of just fancied it but i kind of thought uh, listen i'm i'm a way outside of here but i'm i'm going to throw throw my name in the hat and and i got down to the i think there was four or five that were interviewed by a panel there was a there was a panel the ceo there was a couple of independent guys on it i remember andrew hudson sat sat on the panel and, and I was actually the last guy to be interviewed because uh, as the CEO, Gerald Majula, would say at the time that, you know, they thought that, that they'd interview me last because they saw a future for me, but it, it might not have been at that particular time. And I remember going in there very, very confident of, of, of what I wanted to achieve. And I, came, I went in with a presentation, which, which was a, ahead of its time in 2005, where not... Other guys hadn't. They'd walked in and, and had a sort of question and answers. And, and because I knew South African cricket so well at that time, having worked in, in, in the minor provinces, the academy, the A-side, I came with a structure, I came with a plan, and I came with a, with a goal. And, 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 and that goal was how we were going to get to where we wanted to be in three years. And um, players we needed, brand of cricket that, that, that I wanted to play based on what I had known and gleaned through the system. So, so I actually had a hell of a great interview and, and it ended up going on for ages because they just want to know more and more and more. And I walked out of there and thought, geez, that was interesting because, um, you know, it was, that was very interesting because it was kind of went better than I thought it would. And, and I got on a plane from Johannesburg to fly to Port Elizabeth where we were actually playing a, a, a 2020 semi-final. So the next day, and I remember waking up, it was about 6.30 in the morning, and my phone rang, and uh, it was Gerald Majolo, um, who was the CEO of Southern Cricket. He said, look, I've got something to discuss with you. I've actually flown to PE as well for the game tonight. Can we have breakfast at 7.30? So I thought, well, this is, this is interesting. I, not for one minute did I think I was going to get off of the job. I thought that maybe there was something in the pipeline that they wanted me to do. And I remember walking into the breakfast and, and he had the breakfast in like a separate room. I thought, no, this is, this is getting more and more interesting. And I, I sat down, he just said, congratulations, you've blown us away. We like your vision. We're backing you in. And, and it, it, was, it, was, it was incredible. Um, and then we went and won the semi-final, which, were, which kept the day off. What was the vision that you actually had? And um, you mentioned um, the plan 
that he wanted to take South Africa, a th- the three-year plan. What was it? It must be more than just take it to number one test on one day side. Can you give us a little bit more depth in terms of what you, um, the vision you had? Well, yeah, South African cricket was just floundering just a little bit at that at that time. There was a little bit of uncertainty. We saw Eric Simons come in and then lose his job, and then Ray Jennings went in it in a sort of interim capacity. There was a very young captain in Graham Smith at the, at that time, and it was pretty clear that I mean the guys of Sean Pollock and Lance Klusners and, and and guys like that had had done an exceptional job, and and Sean Pollock was amazing for South Africa. But it was at a time where I felt we needed to to progress the team. So I remember I remember thinking that we needed to progress. Obviously, um, transformation was really a, an important factor at that time. So I, I had to kind of earmarked to the best, and, and I hate I hate the you know the terminology, but who the best players of color were because that that was that was quite an important factor in in building your team. So there was a quota system in place, wasn't there? At, at, at that point in time, it was almost an unofficial quota system. So so it it, it, it was it, it was it, it it was unofficial, but. There was a there was a an understanding it could never be an all white team. Yeah. So 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 it was really important that that you built and 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 the, the young uh, players of color that were coming. I mean, Makai and Tini was then a legend. You had your your Herschel Gibbs was a legend. Um, you had the young Hashim Amla. You had Ashwell Prince. Yeah, JP Dumi was in was in the background there. Um, there was a, there was enough there was enough bowlers the Mondis on deckies so so there was enough talent it, it was just kind of how you how we how we built that team so I had that whole plan of who we were going to use how we were going to sort of phase not phase out because that's a that's a poor word but but how we were going to refresh the team with with young talents and bring in the young the young players and build the team around a young captain in Graham Smith. Um, obviously, your world-class player in Jacques Callis. Herschel Gibbs still had a couple of years left there. Um, the Mackay and Teenies. You know how Sean Pollock was still a, was still a factor. So we were going to use that and then phase in the likes of your Dale Staines, your Mornay Morkels, um, your, your, your JP Duminis, your Hashim Amlers. You know, guys that, that then sort of, sort of came into the team within my first six months. And then we just we just built that team, and the AB uh, didn't even mention AB De Villiers, who was who at that point was also a young guy that we brought into that system. And then it was so nice to to watch them grow, and just to because I mean they were always I mean Armla, De Villiers, Stain, Morkel, you know you, you put them with a Callis, a Smith, a Boucher, a Gibbs, they just developed so quickly and so well that they you know we just almost by fluke, just became this incredible team. But it was really important that I followed the exact guidelines that, were, that, that I'd put in place to ultimately achieve that end goal for us. And then, as you said, in 2005, you've got a young side just all coming together, a tough that baptism of fire, that Australia, coming up against that great Australia team. Yeah, that was a tough baptism of fire for us because... And and that was a tour we had to have, and I say it was a tour we had to have because at the, at that point in time, we were still working with uh, uh, with a lot of the senior players as well. So 
So we kind of went through that tour and then made the significant changes afterwards. And I remember Graham and I sat there and I remember it was in Perth. I remember it so well. And this is why I was so, uh, I had so much respect for the CEO, Gerald Majola at the time. We had a, we had a tough tour. We'd spoken it up and we had, we'd, we, you know, we, we'd gone in there all bravado and, you know, we're going to come and we're going to beat them and we're going to take them on and we're going to take them on at their brand of cricket. Very young, immature captain and coach. And, and we got our, our butts severely kicked over there. And I'll never forget sitting in, uh, in Perth. It was right at the end of the tour. We were on the back end of the one-day series. And uh, the Gerald Majola flew over. Graham and I were under pressure. Gerald Majola flew over and, and, uh, to see us. And so he's flown from Joburg to Perth. And he's taken us out for dinner. And we've sat there. He said, right, guys. He said, I'm backing you in. You've got my support for the next three years. How are we going to get ourselves to number one in the world? And, and, and that's when the plan that I had, we just sort of unraveled. And we unraveled the new look team, the new look game plan. Graham and I then uh, sat in that lounge in Perth in 2006 and worked out in our minds how exactly we were going to come back in 2008. Um, uh, 2008-2009, we were going to come back and how we were going to come back and beat beat Australia. And that formulated the plan with our young players. And and then to, for us to culminate in that 2008 year where we became the first side to, to win in England, we became the first side to win in Australia, and we drew with India in, in India in, in, that, in that same year, all away from home tours. Um, to get to that point where, where, we, where, where we won and became that first South African side to, to do that was, uh, was, was a real, real sense of achievement for both of us. Yeah. Going into that, 20, uh, that 2007 World Cup, was there an expectation within the team that uh, you would go far? And, and no, there was. Expected that you would yeah. win? Yeah, without a doubt. We knew, we knew Australia were obviously a very, very good team. I mean, there were a lot of good teams, but Australia was kind of clearly, even though we were number one, Australia's sort of tournament play probably made them the favourites. Um, but we, we, we were confident. We, we, we thought we were going to go there. We had no doubt in our mind that we were going to be competing at the back end of that competition. Um, and, and, and if things went our way, we were going to win it. Um, we, 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 were, we were that confident because we did go into it as the number one ranked side. But then the semi-final against Australia, disappointment. We just didn't get out, out, the, out, the, out the stables in, in, in St. Lucia. And then there's a lot of, um, you know, criticism, unfair criticism. Some may say that, you know, come the big game, um, South Africa just can't get over the line. How would you respond to that? Look, I think the more South Africa don't get over the line, the bigger issue it becomes. Um, and, and, and that kind of started because, you know, you remember the 2000 and um, where, where was it? Was the, the 1999 World Cup? World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, where they didn't get over the line because uh, of the run out. They, they, they South Africa at that point was the best team in the world. Yeah. They, they should have won that World Cup. That, that was when they were ready to win a World Cup. And it was almost they didn't get over the line there. And then 
2003 was the famous DRS where they got the DRS wrong. Um, you know, it, it just all seemed to go wrong for South African World Cups. And so that, that kind of, the choke emanated from 1999 and then couldn't read the DRS in 2003. And then we supposedly choked in the semi-final in the big game in 2007. And, that, and then that's, just, that's a stigma. Then that's just, that's just carried on with the team. How important is the relationship with the skipper, um, Graham Smith, during your time in South Africa? How important was that? That, that was massively important. You know, Graham and I shared the same philosophies. We kind of backed each other. Graham's a very strong character. There's an aura about him in the dressing room. Um, he allowed me to 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 take charge off the field, um, and then he he dominated and took charge on the field during match time. So it was a really good partnership, and one that still holds today. We still we still very firm firm friends and 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 in contact a lot. Um, but I think the thing that made it work as well that we were both very young, as I said to you, you know, in, in 2005, in, the, in that he was a young captain, I was a very young coach. And we actually grew together. We, we grew along. So, so we were young and didn't know where we were going, but we, but we found a method and, and, and grew and became better coach and better captain through those years. And we trusted each other implicitly. So it was, it was a wonderful time. You know, this is more like a general question. Um, in terms of um, who do you think, uh, from your perspective, who is in charge of the side? Is it the captain or the coach? Because a lot of people say different things. From your yeah, look, and, and, and that's an interesting, and, and, and that's a very interesting, interesting question. And ultimately in cricket, the captain runs the team on the field. So, so you kind of got to think that you've got to, as a coach, you've got to build and give the captain everything that he kind of wants and needs. Um, so the, the role of the coach now is definitely more, uh, I'm not saying more important, but, but certainly a hell of a lot more significant now in terms of, that, in terms of the, the, the amount of control that you have. Because the coaches now we've seen become selectors and, so, so with that becomes not a power because you don't want power, but a, but a kind of control, but it's still very important for the coach and captain to work together. And ultimately, I still think, and you still defer back to the captain because he's the ones that I'm in charge of the preparation. I'm giving him his, his, his charges. I'm signing off the day before saying, there we go. The guys are prepared. The guys are ready. Now it's up to you. And then ultimately, it's up to the captain to make it work. And in 2010, when the end came um, with South Africa, was it disappointment for you, or did you feel that that was your time? No, no, no that was my time, and 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 it kind of I just signed a new two-year contract as well when we when we beat um, uh, when we won in Australia. I got a, I got a, 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 another year on my on my contract, and I felt that the year after though, 2009, we we are stagnated as a team, um, you know, and, and you kind of know it's your time as a coach. I think there's a shelf life with coaches and for, for how we operated, that team wasn't going to change much because those young players had, had progressed and progressed and progressed and had become world-class players. Um, and, and, and everything I'd 
tried to give them or had given them um, was they'd heard it all before. So I needed, I needed to move on. So with a year left on my contract, we kind of mutually decided that, that it was the right time. And it was the right time, without a doubt. And then you moved to Australia, the opportunity to work for uh, Western Australia. How did that all come about? Well, it was very interesting. The day after I resigned, um, I remember I, was, I flew up to Joburg, resigned, and then I went up and, and played in a golf day kind of two days later. And um, I just finished the round. Actually, Graham Smith was, was changing with me. You know, we'd, finished, we'd just finished the round, and uh, I got a call from Graham Wood from the WACA. He was the CEO of Western Australia. He said, look, we, we, we're not, um, Tom Moody's going to go at the end of the year. Um, we're looking for a coach. Are you, are you interested? I said, Flip, I'm very interested. You know, we had always traveled to Australia. I'd been on a couple of tours there. We loved Perth as a family. Our family had always come out um, and they, they loved Perth. And, um, and I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. So things progressed. And I think a month later, I was, I, was in, I was in Perth preparing for the new season with Western Australia. And then the back end of 2011, you get the Australian job. Uh, amazing, yeah. That was incredible. And, and a lot of that was on the back end of, of the tour that we had had into Australia, you know, where, you know, because it was so successful, I'd, I'd done a, a fair amount of media, I'd built up relationships. They kind of looked at us as a team and kind of tried to copy a bit. You know, everybody tried to copy Australia. But they sort of looked at us and said, geez, we need to have a look at how South Africa are doing things. And, and, and so, so I, will, I, I sort of went into a, to, to Australia with a, um, a, a, a degree of, 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 of credibility not, not often given to foreign coaches in Australia. So, um, so yeah, I was, and I was very fortunate to get, that, to get that Australian job. But that was a very detailed process that we went through to get that job. It was a very detailed process. You know, you talk about how, how the processes had, had moved on. Um, that one was, there was um, psychometric testing. There was, I mean, there was the whole, there was the whole lot before you finally got to, got to a, a group and then you had to do a presentation. That was, that was one of the prerequisites. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. And then, and then got, the, got the job, which was too soon. Certainly, um, I think I didn't understand the Australian system well enough. I didn't understand the players well. I didn't know the players well enough. And um, which was kind of the sell point for me in my presentation was it was kind of, you know, Australia cricket was, was on a downer and they just lost, they just had the August review and yeah. more power was going to come to it. So my whole presentation there was around an unblinked vision of Australian cricket because I, I actually didn't know the system. I didn't know the structures. I had no baggage. I had no allegiance to any party. So it, it, I kind of sold myself along those lines. Yeah, you mentioned the August review. You had like legends of Australian cricket, Mark Taylor, Steve Waugh in that, in that kind of process. The, the, the head coach now became a selector, am I correct in saying? The skipper had more of a, a, more of a voice. Um, again, you, was it difficult? It, it, it was difficult. And how would you sum up the start? You know, 
you mentioned New Zealand, you won an ODI series against West Indies. So initially, again, the side was developing. You had initial success? Yeah, we did. We, we had a good side. And people forget the first series, the first test series was New Zealand. And then we had the home series, four tests with India. We won it 4-0 and, and, and played it amazing cricket. And again, it was kind of developing, developing that a, a team. If I look back in hindsight, I came in and, and kind of used the blueprint I used with South Africa, with Australia, when I should have probably come in and just sat back a little bit and just and just watched and just, because I didn't know the structure, I didn't know the people, I didn't, I've formed a very close allegiance with Michael Clark, um, and we and we kind of we kind of moved on without me knowing the dynamic that existed within within the team. So I should have, in hindsight, just sat back and just watched a little bit more before I made my assessments and decisions. And then, um, I've got to mention this: it, your time with Australia is known for this what many term as this homework gate. Um, so you're in, you're in India, you lose the first two test matches. Um, you've, you asked, you, there was a little break between the games. You asked the players to go away, think about um, how they're going to play spin, am I correct in saying? And to come back to you or, or how they're going to play on those wickets and come back to you with their views and how you're going to then you'll structure your training around that. Am I correct? That's, is that all correct? And um, a, word on, a word on that whole scenario it, it, period it, it, it was if i look back it, i mean it was a tough period that um things had started to spiral just off the off just a little bit in terms of in terms of where we had gone a, a, as a team um we needed to we needed to regroup we had we had brought some good very good young players david warner the late Phil hughes matthew wade james Paddinson, mitchell stark um, those were all guys that were starting to come in and take over from the Michael Husseys, the Shane Watsons, the, the, the you know, the guys, the, the Brad Haddons. So it was kind of a change of an era. Nathan Lyon was just coming in. And, and, and I was trying to give them as much consistency as I could. And, and I felt we needed just to pull things together, just a little bit in India. I felt I'd seen standards with, with the young boys coming in they were, you know, cock a hoop, but there was there was things like being late for their physio appointments, not really, you know, treating them the masseuse with with a bit of contempt, and and I felt at that point in time we just needed to pull it all together, you know, and and we needed to. This was our time to recalibrate how we wanted to move forward because these young players were going to be the future of Australian cricket. So it was. We, we'd lost the first test match. We lost the second test match in uh, Hyderabad. And it was in the Hyderabad change room, and it was, it was kind of in my debrief. Um, I kind of just sat there and, and said to the guys out there, I said, look, guys, um, give me three points. All I want is we, we've got, I'm gonna give, we've got three days off. Give me three points how you think we can progress as a team. And give me three points how you think you can pro progress as an individual in terms of how can we as a support staff um, support your game over this, over this period of time to make you better come the third test match. And what I'll do is I'll take all that information, I'll sit with our coaches, and we'll structure our training sessions and make them very individual-based. 
based on what you guys think you need in terms of being in the best space. So all it was, it was kind of, and that was it. It was kind of a reflection where you wanted over those three days, you wanted the guys to go back to their rooms and maybe spend half an hour having a look in the mirror and going, right, this is how I want to play. This is what I want to do. That was all it was. The intention was, was very good and the intention was very poor. The response you got from most of the players, you did get a response from most of the players, but before that um, forgot and then the subsequent dropping of those four players, was that decision yours or was that influenced by others? Make, you know, a little bit of... Well, well, how do you talk about well, that? It, 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 it fell ultimately on me. Um, because I was in that position, if I was going to make the decision, I had I had the call. But it, it was kind of interesting how that because at the at the end of the day, I wasn't that worried. Like those four players forgot. All I was going to do was I was going to remind them that day when we arrived in um, in Mahali. Hey guys, just remember your keys, and they would have gone, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. Sorry, coach, I'll get them to you tonight. But so the four players the, were just James Pattinson, Usman Khawaja, um, um, Shane Watson, Mitchell Johnson. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But on the plane, on the plane, sitting on the flight, I was sitting next to Michael Clark. The manager was next to us, Gav, Gav Dovey, and Eddie Cowan was sitting just in front of us. And I've got, as I say, some great stuff from it. And Eddie Cowan just happened to turn around and he said, Hey, coach. How's, how's it all going with those things? I said, oh, it's great. I, I said, I've got, I need four to come in. And with that, the manager said, said to me, oh, who's the four? And I said, who the four was? And then with that, they, they've gone, oh, sure, that's not very good. What are we going to do about that? We're, we're, we're in my mind at that point. I was just going to remind them, nudge them as I got off the plane. Mm. Um, it, it hadn't become a massive issue for me at that time. And then, obviously, with it became common knowledge that those four players hadn't done it. So you had Michael, you had the manager, I had some of the support staff all saying, so what are we going to do? What are the consequences? And then I'm suddenly sitting in a flip and, you know, I'm sitting in a, in a pickle because, right, what, what do we do now? Because clearly they haven't done what I'd asked. But I didn't think it was that big a deal at that point in time. Had they not done it by the first practice, it then became a massive issue. Um, so it, it, it became a no-win situation for me. And in some, some aspects, I wonder what would have happened to my Australian coaching career if, if Eddie on the plane hadn't turned over and said, hey, coach, how, how, how have the players responded? You know, and, and if, I hadn't, if I had just said, oh, I've been fantastic, thanks, Ed, and I would have said to Michael and the manager, I'll share it all with you and not divulge the information, how different the outcome would have been, you know. So I guess that, that was it. And then, and then it progressed. So then I sat, I got the whole support staff together and said, right, what do we do? And I'll never forget there was a, a manager, a guy in our support staff, who said, well, what would Rafa Benitez do? Because he had been the doctor at Liverpool. And he said, well, Rafa Benitez would have them training with the reserves. They wouldn't be allowed close to us. And then a couple of the sports staff and everybody have gone, yeah, yeah, now that's a good idea. You know, there was, there was no fundamental uh, disciplinary uh, formula, you know, for what we wanted to do. 
And I'll never forget, one of my, one of my support staff still said, right, this is your chance to put a line in the sand and, and tell the players that we, we, they, they've been out of line and we're serious about how we want to go forward. And he said, he said, so act now, you know, otherwise, do you want to be known as, 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 as the man who changed Australian cricket or do you want to be known as Mickey Mountains? And I'll never forget those words. Wow. And, 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 and then I've got out and gone, well, shit, what do I do now? What, what do I do? Because the whole support staff have eventually got to, oh, we've got to, we've got, this has got to be significant. You know, because if we find their money, it doesn't mean anything. We've got to show the rest of Australia we are very, very serious about how we're progressing our culture. So I did it, you know, I did it. And then, and then of course, it just became, just became chaos. And then the end came 2013. You were, the Ashes series was in 2013. Um, did it disappoint you that you never led Australia into an Ashes series? Yeah, definitely, definitely, Neil. That, that was something that when I got there and when I was offered the Australian job, the first thing that went into my mind was unbelievable. As a South African, I'm going to experience an ashes. So it was, it was disappointing that I, that I never got to that. And then you coach in various uh, 2020 leagues um, in South Asia. You get the opportunity in 2016 to then uh, become head coach of Pakistan. Again, yeah. how did that process come about? And from a cultural perspective, obviously Pakistan cricket is a religion in terms of buying into the culture, the religion aspect. How was the whole experience initially when you first got the job? Well, let me say first out that that was, you know, obviously, other than the, the sort of formative years and the culmination with South Africa, those, those three years were certainly the best three years of my coaching career I, I, so far. I, I, I absolutely enjoyed it because it was so different. So I had coached Karachi Kings in the PSL. And, um, and, and, and I kind of have always been intrigued with Pakistan cricket. You know, there's always a stigma with Pakistan cricket. So I'd only coached against them. And it always seemed to be a little bit of a shambles. There was always a, a controversy here and a controversy there. And you saw players not fighting. and so. But then you saw them string together some amazing performances. So I'd always been very interested in, in, in Pakistan cricket. So I got the gig to go and coach Karachi Kings in the PSL. And we had Mohammed Amir in our side at that time, who was our Imad Wazim. Um, there was a couple of, of, of the Pakistan players at, at, at that point in my first year. And I kind of really enjoyed that whole, the whole aspect. I, I, loved, I loved working with the players because they just wanted to suck you dry in terms of informa information. So I, I kind of got interested. And then, and then the PSL finished and I, and I, and I went back to Perth. And, uh, Pakistan subsequently went to the Asia Cup where they performed very poorly. They went to the 2020 World Cup, performed very poorly. And at the end of that, there was the big issue. Waka Yunus resigned and amid again another massive controversy. And um, I got a phone call out the blue from, from the guy that, that was actually the director of the PSL. He said, uh, would you like to coach Pakistan? I said, yeah, fantastic. I'd love to. He said, okay, well, just put a little, send me a CV and, and just put a little, a little business plan together on how you're going to run that. 
run pages. So I had, you know, I had my sort of template, if you like. So I wrote probably three or four pages. I put my CV in. I sent it away. He phoned me the next day. said, this is great. Excellent. Thank you very much. Brilliant. And then didn't hear a thing for like a month. You know, I was kind of, I needed to send the CV in like yesterday and then didn't hear anything for a month. And then out the blue, I was at a dinner party. My phone rings. It's a, it's a plus nine, two number, oh, Pakistan number. Pick it up. They say, congratulations, you're the Pakistan coach. I said, I said, well, like what? Can we just discuss this maybe tomorrow? You know, I say again, then tomorrow the CEO, the CEO or the chief operating officer at the time, Subhan Ahmed, phoned me, said, this is the deal. Are you happy? I said, yeah, yeah. Can we look at this? Can we look? Bang, within 20 minutes, I had the deal signed. I had the contract delivered the next day. I signed it and they said, right, when can you start? Can you get you to tomorrow? I said, well, hang on. No, <laughs> you've like, I've like waited a month. I can't just put my life on hold. So I said, give me three weeks. I'll get everything sorted out. Because at that point in time, we were very close to getting our Australian passport. So I needed to, I needed to have another two weeks in Australia. And, and at that time, we, uh, we would have had our ceremony and I, I would then have become an Australian passport holder. So I needed to do that. I couldn't then be leaving the country for another job. So, um, so we waited the two weeks, boom, got it. And the next thing I was in Lahore and then, you know, there, were, there I was and sort of trying to develop a plan to coach Pakistan. And then 2017, you win the, win the Champions Trophy. Um, how was that? You beat arch rivals <laughs> India in the final. Um, something that was historic in Pakistan cricket. Well, it was amazing because we, that whole period there was quite amazing because I'd come in and I, and, and I came in hard because I felt Pakistan cricket needed a firmer hand. So it was a lot firmer hand than, for want of a better word, coaching the Western country. I felt, I felt and I watched, I learned from Australia. I watched, I watched how, how people operated. Obviously, there was a massive cultural shift. So, so I needed to understand it. I needed to understand the culture. I needed to understand the, the religion aspect. I needed to understand what made these players tick before I actually put together what I wanted to do. And we went straight from winning this, the test in Dominica straight to England for the, for the Champions Trophy. And we got there as the number eight ranked side. And we ended up playing India in the first game and got absolutely hammered at Edge Basti. Um, you know, and this was, I still remember seeing the press conference and the hostility, well, you can imagine, India-Pakistan, you, 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 know, you know the rivalry. The hostilities in that press conference were amazing. And I said, I still remember the words I said, we saw the difference between the number eight ranked side and the number one ranked side. It was men against boys. Um, and that kind of reverberated through the media. It was men against boys, which didn't go down that well in the Pakistan media. But that was the the truth in terms of in terms of how I saw it. And I'll never forget the next day. You know, Pakistan cricket crisis, 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 crisis meeting meeting with the chairman. You know, you kind of think we're going to get back to the hall and we're going to get sacked because that's just the history of Pakistan cricket. And a funny thing happened. The next game was South Africa. And it was a game I always look forward to. I always look forward to playing South Africa. And we had prepared so well. The first game, I didn't get the selection. My selection for the first game was a defensive selection against India. 
And 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 I'll, I'll never forget. We had a it was a hell of a good chat in the dressing room of the Indian game. But I remember saying to Safras, "Stuff that, Safi. We are going to now take the attacking option. The young boys, we've got nothing to lose. This is where we stand. We number eight. We know that. Let's give the the young boys every opportunity to go out there and perform and play. Obviously, based around we still had as Ali playing, Mohammed Afiz." Um, Shahid Malik, Safraz Ahmed, you you guys, and then Mohammed Amir, but Mohammed Amir was still young in terms of international cricket at that time. Said you guys, you guys are the pillars, but now we're going to put the fuckers among. So we're going to we're going to let fuckers among go out and just play. We, we you know are we going to? I want to see Shadab Khan come on, and we're not going to tell Shadab Khan to control the run rates. Eh? We're going to tell Shadab Khan to run in and take wickets. We're going to allow Hassan Ali to search. We want Hassan Ali to bowl Yorkers, bounces, and use his pace to get people out. And, and, we, and we then came with the tactic of using Imad Wazim up front, left arm spin, particularly against South Africa, used wicket. We're going to use Imad Wazim. So we're going to go with two spinners and three quicks, and, we, and we're going to have very specific roles. And we just got on a roll. And it was amazing to see. We beat South Africa. We had to go to Cardiff to beat Sri Lanka to qualify for a semi-final. Won that. And with every win, you could just see the guys get 10 feet taller and 10 feet taller. And then we ended up playing England, who in England are, are insurmountable. And we've got this young team who are sort of finding their way. And we go and we obliterate England and Cardiff. Yeah, we absolutely obliterated them. We we played the perfect game. And then we, we get on the bus and our mantra had always been, I, I always have a mantra and my mantra there was always, we want to go to London because we we, we played our warm-up games in Cardiff and Birmingham. We played our first two games in Birmingham and then went to Cardiff. So we, we had never played in London. We'd never gone to the Oval. So I said, guys, we want to go to London. And I'll never forget we we won that that's that semi-final and the guys have all run in the dressing room and all shouted, we going to London, you know, and you could just see the actual confidence um grow with those players. And we went and then I mean it was just it was it was a phenomenal, phenomenal final. We put together the perfect game. And the interesting thing is, and it's amazing how things just conspire for you. It 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 was, we, we lost the toss and we were, we were going to bat. We, we ended up, uh, no, uh, yeah, we were, we were going to bowl. We lost the toss. India always want to chase. They stuck us in. And with, with them sticking us in, what it allowed to do was we got to the ground. And it was a case of shackles off, boys. We, we have... The public and in Pakistan are immensely proud of you guys anyway. We've actually got nothing to lose here because if we go back having lost, albeit to India, but having as the number eight ranked side got ourselves to the final, you guys are heroes. And imagine what could happen if we, if we win it. Let's dream, let's dream big. And the guys just went and played with an absolute gay abandon and a freedom that I've never seen before. And we ended up playing the perfect game and, Number eight ranked team, we, we go home with the, with the Champions Trophy. It was amazing. It was a great, great memory. You talk about giving young players their head. 
um, is known in a lot of you know South Asian teams the respect the youngsters have for their elder players. Um, yeah. Was that 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 mindset change that that was the key, especially uh, the victory in that tournament? Yeah, kind of, Neil. It, 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 that's a good question because, and, and it, the, the the South Asian players or the Asian players that I've worked with, so the, the Pakistan boys, and I now I see it with the Sri Lankan boys. The respect for the elders, the respect for the seniors, and the respect that they have um, is 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 incredible. It is it it is it is such a good value to have, except on the cricket field. So I, I always tried to get the guys to be more expressive. Like I wanted to say, I remember sitting in the change room and saying to Baba Azam, yeah, so if Muhammad, and Baba Azam is a very, very young player at that point in time, if Muhammad Afiz runs you out, I expect when he comes in, I expect you to say, come on, Hafi, what, what were you doing? Why were you not running? No, 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 I, I could never do that. I could never do that. He's my senior. I said, but guys, I remember, and this was part of our discussion at the end of the best dressing rooms in the world are dressing rooms that challenge each other in the workplace. They will challenge each other, but that they trust each other so much. So when they walk out the dressing room, that's all, that's all done. It's all gone and forgotten. That's like a, a mature work conversation. And then you, you go out and, and then you can have the respect levels, which I think are are so important and, and it was one thing that I, I absolutely adored about, about Pakistan was was the culture, the values, the family values, you know, and, and and the respect that came with that I, I found I found I found amazing. I wanted them though just to be toughened up in the change room. And we kind of we it, it, it was certainly not like a Western team, but we kind of got there because the young players then sort of grew into into very good players. And when they grew into good Players, they got a lot more confident. And then how would you sum up um, the 2019 World Cup? Um, obviously, just prior to that, you come over to England as well, play uh, a load of um, ODI games, didn't go your way. But then come the tournament, you actually then get the victory over England. But uh, you didn't quite make it through to, to the semis. How would you sum up the tournament, the preparation, etc., going into it? Yeah, our, our preparation was 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 very good, and, and the things that 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 I do again was we ended up because we lost we had one rained out game, so because we lost to England four 0 in the in the series prior to the World Cup, and I think we played some outstanding cricket in that series. In every one of those games, we got over three hundred. There were two games we got over three hundred and fifty. So that for us was a was a massive stepping stone as a as a team. So I thought we, we weren't we, we weren't taken apart in that series. But I'll take you back a month, and we lost a five 0 to Australia in the UAE. But I made a decision to play with our second team and to give all the players that were going to go to the World Cup, or virtually all the players that were going to go to the World Cup, that tour off so that they could be fresh going into that England tour and then into, into the World Cup. Um, so we lost there to, to a decent Australian side, but we, um, I, you know, there were two games that got quite close where we should have won, didn't get over the line. 
But the development of a lot of our fringe players in that tour was quite significant. But with the Pakistan public, we we'd lost 5-0. And then we gone and lost 9-0 to England. We put ourselves going into that World Cup under a massive amount of pressure. You know, it was always, oh, what's the longest run that you uh, Pakistan had been on without a win? Bearing in mind, we played some good one-day cricket before the, the Australian um, series. So I wouldn't, I would have mixed and matched the teams, but I probably wouldn't have played a second team because it put us ultimately under pressure. People talk about that World Cup and, you know, it, people say, oh, it, 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 and it still rankles me because people say we had a disaster. We didn't have a disaster. We finished tied fourth. We lost out on net run rates and we beat the two teams that actually played in the final. And then you talked earlier about every coach having their shelf life. Did you, but during this, uh, at the end of your Pakistan stint after the World Cup, did you feel um, that you had more to give or was that the right time? Yeah. No, no, I felt I had more to give. I, I, I definitely felt I had more to give. And that why, why I was publicly, I've said it, I was disappointed because I felt that we had built a team. I built a young team. That, that was ready. And I certainly wanted another 18 months. And another 18 months would have taken me to the 2020 World Cup. And then I think that would have been the end of my term with Pakistan. But we had gone, we, we had started at number nine in 2020 cricket when, when I started there. We had been, we were, we were number, we got ourselves to number one. We won 11 series in a row. I wanted the right, and I felt I deserved the right to take that 2020 team to the 2020 World Cup. So I, I was I was I was disappointed when they didn't renew our contract. And then um, the opportunity to to coach um, Sri Lanka came up um, again. How did that conversation? Who who approached you, etc.? <laughs> it's it's bizarre how things work out because the day it was decided that our contract wasn't going to be renewed with um, with uh, Pakistan. I got a call from the day after. I got a call from the uh, the Sri Lankan CEO. He oh. said because they were having their issues with with Hatra Singh at the moment. At that point in time, they they had sidelined him and they had an interim coach in place. He uh, they were then going into a series with New Zealand and he, he phoned me. He said, "Can I come straight from Lahore to Colombo and start with Sri Lanka?" I said, "Look." I I can, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. And then he phoned me back later in the day and said, look, that can't happen, unfortunately, because they still got to settle. I can't come in as a, as a, as, as a head coach because there's a legal issue going on with Hatra Singh, with the present coach. So um, could, I, could I just wait a bit? So I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'm prepared to take over whenever you want. How, how excited are you about, about the Sri Lankan project? Very excited. It, it, it looks, the Sri Lankan project is, is exactly like the Pakistan project when I started. It is, it is exactly, it, it's got exactly the same feel. A lot of good young talent. We need to get some structure. We've got to find a brand. Um, and we need to give the players some confidence that they're going to be not, excuse me, not just discarded at the first opportunity that we were actually going to give them an opportunity to go out and play. So I've put all that sort of building blocks in place, and that's going to take us a while. And we sort of started nasty. You know, we, 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 um, we won the, the, the one-day series 3-0 with the West Indies, albeit we lost the 2020s. We still got a bit of work to do in that. 
Um, we won a very tough test series in Zimbabwe. And I say it's tough. The, the conditions that, that we played in, that's the flattest wickets I've ever seen. So we, we had to play tough, hard, disciplined cricket for five days to get a positive, positive result there. So, so I've seen things start progressing and start progressing nicely. Um, and then, you know, it's all, been, it's all been cut short. But I'm very excited by this opportunity and I know I can make a significant difference. And we talked about vision before, vision for, for this side for the next three years? Yeah, obviously vision, vision remains the same. It's, it's, vision's everything that, that, that I want it to be. I feel we have the potential to go, to go a long way with the side. Always say, you've got to give the players the roots to go and the wings to fly. And, and we've started to put those little benchmarks in place with these guys. And I'm confident we'll get a, we'll get a good outcome. We'll get a good result down the line. We've just got to be patient. And then some just general um, coaching questions just to finish. Um, how, um, in terms of the different formats, you do T20, uh, ODIs and the longer format, um, how difficult uh, is it in terms of preparation um, to kind of, you know, compartmentalize um, all three formats and put the structures in place and the training programs etc for you as a coach no look I, i've got a very good support staff we, we, we work very closely as a, as a support staff together and 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 we've got almost a blueprint so whether we're playing 2020 whatever we know exactly how we want to train them when we want to train them and the personnel that swap in and out so it's it's a very easy easy swap for us now and then say, for example, you've got um, for, a, for a side that you're coaching and you've got your batting coach. If a player um, who's, for example, struggling with form and he's worked with a different coach, you know, maybe through his junior years, would you be OK for him to go and go back um, and work with that, uh, work with that coach? Or would it be one where you'd want him to work with the batting coach that's in place with your team? For example, no, no, I've, I've never had any issue with players going back and 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 um and and players that they've or coaches they've got confidence in. I think I think is very good for them, provided we, we I will then communicate with that coach because it's important that our messages stay exactly the same and we don't confuse the batsmen. So I'm all for that, um, but but there needs it needs to be structured. It can't just be willy nilly. We we we've got to we we've both got to buy into the same message that we're giving to this player. Otherwise, we're confusing him. And then just to end on, what makes a good coach? I, it's, I, think, I think you've got to be yourself and, and, and you can't be somebody that you're not. I think you've got to be structured. I think you've got to be organized. I think you have to be, we like, you know, you're like a salesman. You've got to sell a philosophy and a goal to the players and and they've then you've got to then during the tough times and the good times stay true to your philosophy and your end goal because that's the way you build those trusts with the players and once you've built that trust and you stay on that goal together and players see some semblance of them become betting better players and an end goal that you're working to by having some success that momentum just rolls. And that's when you get the confidence, you get the trust. And once you've got the confidence and trust of that residue, um, the world's your oyster and anything can be achieved. Amazing. Mickey, um, what an insight. Um, really appreciate your time. And 
Yeah, when we once we do get cricket back, um, all the best with the with your role uh, with Sri Lanka. Thank you, Neil. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved every minute of this. Thank you. Perfect. So Neil Kagram, Cricket Last Stories, Mickey Arthur. Thank you.